Proverbs chapter number 3. We'll move quickly uh, tonight. This is the fifth lecture that Solomon gives to his son. Um, the first four lectures had the theme, or, or, or the first three lectures had the theme of protection. Uh, the fourth lecture found in the first part of chapter 3 that we talked about last week began the theme of prosperity. Wisdom protects and wisdom prospers. Last week we said that if you live wisely, you'll live well. That's just how life generally works. If you weren't here for last week's message, I, I, I hope that you'll go listen to it. I think it's very helpful, very practical uh, for your life. We're going to get into the fifth lecture, which is verse 13 through 35, but we're going to divide this fifth lecture into two parts. I'll preach the first sermon tonight, the second sermon of this fifth lecture uh, next Sunday night, but we're going to cover verses 13 through 26. The subject of this part of the lecture is this, the value of wisdom for you. We're still on the theme of wisdom prospers, and we're really going to get into how it's valuable and who it's valuable to. And, and, and I want you to think about the fact that Solomon is going to be directing his son. And anytime he, he, he speaks directly to his son, he's speaking to us as well. He says, wisdom is valuable to you, verse 21, my son. And so I want you to know, church, wisdom is valuable for you. And it's valuable for me, and I'm going to show you why. Can I ask you a question? Do you know someone who is wise? If I were to ask you to stand up and say, give me the wisest person you know, who's coming to your mind right now? Maybe it's somebody that's wise with money. And it's not necessarily that they're rich, they just manage what they have well. They steward it well, they save well, they spend well. And if you had any questions about money, you know the kind of person you would go to. You're thinking of that person. Maybe you're thinking of somebody that is wise in marriage. And you see the way they treat their spouse. If it's a wife, the way they respect their husband. If it's a husband, the way they love their wife. The way they treat one another, the patience they demonstrate, and grace they demonstrate, both in public and in private. Maybe it's someone you're thinking about who is wise in their words. It's just when they talk, it's like, wow, what wisdom. What grace. They're, they're not too tough, but they're not too soft. They're straightforward while simultaneously being kind. And they're just wise. Maybe it's somebody that you've seen as wise in trials. They went through some very difficult times, but they've just kept a sense of grace about them and followed the Lord with a sense of pleasantness and wisdom through that trial. And you're like, man, I hope when I go through a trial, I'll have that kind of wisdom. Or it's someone that you know has been hurt by a brother or sister in Christ and not many people know, but you know the situation and you've watched how in wisdom they've navigated through that offense. And you thought, man, I, I want that kind of wisdom. Good news. You can know the value of that wisdom. It's personal. It's for you. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought of God as a wise God? You ever looked at his creation? You ever thought about how he causes creation to function, our bodies to function, our brains to function? Have you ever thought of all these things about God and then thought, man, he's wise? What a wise God. Well, you can actually know the value of that same exact wisdom God uses. That's what Solomon's going to teach us. You might be thinking, how's that possible? I want the wisdom I see in the Lord. I want the wisdom I see in the lives of people I admire. How do I get that? That's the question the text will answer. 
It's going to tell us how we can know the value of wisdom in our lives personally. The same wisdom we see in others and the same wisdom we even see in God. I'm going to tell you how, but let's start first where Solomon started in verse 13. And let's talk about the value of wisdom to humanity in general. Look at verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. That word happy can also be called blessed or blessed is the man. Uh, um, You might recognize that phrase from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. How we started the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. You might recognize that from Psalms 1, blessed is the man. One one pastor titled his message in Proverbs 3, 13 through 26 this way, Solomon's Beatitudes. that's, That's fitting. But I want you to know who he says is blessed. He says the man that findeth wisdom. The Hebrew word for for, for the word man there is Adam, or you would recognize it as Adam. It's talking about humanity in general, mankind in general. Solomon is saying wisdom is valuable to anybody and everybody after Adam. So wisdom is valuable to humanity in general. In fact, it's more valuable than money. Look at verse 14. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. He said her gain, her merchandise, wisdom's merchandise is better than the merchandise of money. The word merchandise means silver. It's the idea of a man who would go around and trade gold and silver and come back with more than he went out with. It just means profit. Solomon is saying the profit of wisdom is actually better than the profit of money. He goes on to say that wisdom is more valuable than rubies. Most ladies in here who are married will be wearing a wedding ring. I'd venture to say that that wedding ring is the most valuable piece of jewelry you own. Not because of how much it's worth in money and sense, but because of what it represents in your life. An unending commitment and love and a value made to your husband and he made to you. But Solomon's making the point that wisdom is even more valuable than the finest of jewelry and what it represents. I don't know about you, but it can be hard to fathom that something so intangible as wisdom could be so much more profitable than something so tangible as money. Especially when I hear that the richest man in the world today is worth $131 billion dollars. Jeff Bezos of Amazon, he makes a 12-figure fortune. Last year alone, he made $19.3 billion. That equals to about $52 million per day. $2 million per hour, $36,000 a minute. He makes more in one minute than a lot of people make in a year. He's estimated to become the world's first trillionaire in the next 25 years. And it makes me ask, Brother Kay, who does Solomon think he is to tell us that intangible wisdom is more profitable than tangible dollars? Especially $19.3 billion in one year. I'll tell you who Solomon was. He was the Jeff Bezos of his day. 1 Kings 10.23 said, So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. Solomon was the richest man in his known world, so he could relate with wealth. But he wasn't just the richest man in the world. It said he was also the wisest man in the world, which meant he had a surplus of both wisdom and wealth. And Solomon came to the conclusion. He's the one that was telling his son, Hey, I've known both, and let me tell you, wisdom is better than money. 
How did he come to that conclusion? He came to that conclusion after living a portion of his life without wisdom. He got into a relationship with an Egyptian girl, which led to another relationship with a girl, which led to 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the Bible says they turned his heart away from God. He still had all the money in the world, but he was no longer living in wisdom. And at the end of that portion of his life, he wrote a diary called Ecclesiastes. We're studying on it through it on Wednesday nights. And a portion of that letter makes the point that wisdom is better than wealth. Now think about it. This is true because money can put food on your table. But wisdom can put laughter and fellowship around your table. Money can buy you a house, but wisdom can make your house into a home. Money can buy a woman jewelry, but wisdom can win her heart. So the application is simple. Don't aim at money. Aim at wisdom. When you hit wisdom, you'll generally hit financial provision. You know how I know that? Because wisdom simply means skill for living. It's God-given skill, understanding, prudence, discernment, knowledge for different areas of life. If you are skilled in living, chances are you're going to have plenty of money. That's just how the world works. You save money, you'll have money. You work hard, you're skilled, you, you, you labor, you train, you have God-given wisdom, then money will follow. Don't aim at money. Aim at wisdom and God will take good care of you. But Solomon goes on to say that when you aim at wisdom, it's not just money that you'll hit. You'll also hit a few other things. Verse 16, look at it. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. So, so wisdom has two handfuls, and in one hand, you have long life. In the other hand, you have riches and honor. So if you aim at wisdom, don't aim at these things. You aim at wisdom, and here's wisdom's value to mankind in general. You're going to have a good life. Because if you live wisely, you live well. It's just a general principle, general proverb. If you have skill for living, then in the other hand, you're going to have riches. It's just going to follow, and you're going to have honor. What's that? A good reputation, a good legacy, because you have skill in your, your, your interpersonal relationships and in your leadership and, and those kind of things, and it's just going to lead to honor. And then he goes on in verse 17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths our peace. Remember, we're, we're, we're simply talking about um, wisdom's value to mankind in general. And, and, and generally speaking, if you live wise, then you're going to have a pleasant life. And you're going to have life full of peace. Now remember, this isn't a personal promise. This is a general proverb. Proverbs says, this is how life generally works. A, a personal promise says, thus saith the Lord, it's going to happen. There's a difference there. So if you weren't here last week and, and your mind's exploding right now because you're like, I live in wisdom and I'm not rich. God's plan and providence sometimes usurp his general order of life because he thinks he can get more glory through your life through poverty than through prosperity. Are you with me? I don't have time to re-preach last week's message. Okay, this is a general problem. This is generally how life works. In one hand, you'll have a good life. In the other hand, you'll have riches and honor and pleasantness and peace. And you might say, my life is everything but pleasant because God has seen fit to take me through this trial and this valley. Now, I don't agree with that verse. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got a rebuttal for you. In James chapter 1, it says when you're going through trial, wisdom's available. And it says that you can count it all joy through a trial when you ask God for wisdom to know how to do so. Go study it for yourself. Going through a trial, going through a valley is no excuse to be unpleasant. Amen. 
It's no excuse to be angry. It's no excuse not to have peace in your heart because when you don't, you go, James 1.8, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's in the context of going through a difficult time. So if you're not pleasant and you're not peaceful, it's because you aren't letting wisdom guide you through the trial of your life. Amen? And then we go on in verse 18, and he likens wisdom to the tree of life. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. What's the tree of life? It's mentioned in two places in the Bible, the Garden of Eden and the new heaven and new earth. Genesis, before the fall, and then in the glory of heaven. And I, I love studying the tree of life in Revelation in our study on heaven. But listen, the tree of life always represents something good. The tree of life represents a fruitful life. It represents wholesomeness. Even, even in heaven it represents immortality because the leaves are medicinal. And, and, and so it's, it, it, it represents something very, very valuable. Get, get where Solomon's thinking. He says, son, I'm going to liken wisdom under the tree of life. And I can hear his son thinking, but dad, I don't get the, I don't get the tree of life. It, it was in the Garden of Eden, and it's going to be in heaven. And you're telling me that, 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 that the tree of life is available for me now. No, no, no. It's, it's not that the tree of life is available for you now, but you can experience the next best thing. It's called wisdom. Think about it. We're living, in, we're living in between two gardens. The Garden of Eden, and then Adam messed up, and that's where we're living right now. And then we got the Garden of Heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. We're living in between. And Solomon is saying this. You don't have to live miserable in between. You can live well in between. Because wisdom, it's like a tree, like the tree of life. It won't give you immortality like it will in the new heaven and new earth, but it will give you a life full of blessing. It sure will. And then he goes on in verse 19, and he, he kind of shifts, and he says, wisdom's not just valuable to mankind in general, but follow this. Wisdom is valuable to God in creation. Is it working, Tammy? Put up, put up there that second point. I want them to see that. Wisdom is valuable for God in creation. Look at verse 19. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. Now, now, now listen, young people especially, college students especially, we've been told and you're going to be told, especially in public education, that the universe just happened. That you emerged out of primordial goo of some kind by sheer luck, that you started as a tadpole and over thousands and thousands of years you evolved into what you are now. But the truth is, and hear me, God created all things. You need to know that, especially if you're in public education. Especially if you're going to a junior college, you're going to a university. There's going to be some yahoo at the front of your class, in, even in liberal Kansas, that's going to tell you you evolved. And even if they don't believe that, they're forced to teach every angle. And when they do, please listen to me. You ask God for courage to take a stand. If you're going to be in that environment and you're going to sit in that classroom, you're there to be salt and you're there to be light. Not to be cantankerous, not to be annoying, but to be a Daniel in Babylon. To be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, I'm not going to bow and I'm not going to bend to the teachings of evolution. We need some college students at Seward County Community College that are going to say, by wisdom, God created the earth. I object. I object. Let's talk about God's side. Amen. But he didn't just use wisdom in creating the world. This is incredible. Verse 20 says he used wisdom in sustaining the world. 
By his knowledge, the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. Now, when he says, by knowledge, the depths are broken up, he's referring to God's initial plan before the flood to hydrate and water the earth. You understand, right, that God initially had a constant irrigation system set up. It didn't come from the sky. It came from the ground. It's how he sustained the world. And then the flood came, and clouds began to drop rain for the first time, and the system that God set up to sustain the world through rain, through clouds from the sky, I'm telling you, it is brilliant. It is incredibly wise. I don't fully comprehend it, but, but a pastor much smarter than me does. His name is Dr. John Piper. He's a well-known author. Don't agree with him on everything. But he wrote something about how God sustained the world. This specific verse that is brilliant. It's kind of comedic. It's conversational. I put it on the screen. Follow along. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East. Far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea, over several hundred miles, and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What's it mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. But what's that? The water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.00001 and 0.0001 centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Salt. Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea and takes out the salt and then carries it for 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm? Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped it a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. Now how's that for you? Is that on the bottom shelf or what? You think about that, that is brilliant. That is not an accident. Hello, that doesn't happen as a result of a big bang. Something so intricate, taking billions of pounds of water and dropping it on a field of wheat without, in little tiny drops. Unbelievable. Brother Tyler, what's the point Psalm is trying to make? There are several. Listen, if God by wisdom can work that wonder in nature, what can he accomplish by his wisdom in your life? If God in his wisdom can establish the heavens, then his wisdom can establish your steps through this life. If wisdom was the foundation of God's creation, it should be the foundation of your life. If God needed wisdom to create the earth, then you need wisdom to walk through it. That's the point. It's valuable to God. It's valuable to mankind. And I can imagine Solomon's son saying, I want some, Dad. I get it. I get it. You've made the case. Gold, silver, long life, honor, pleasantness, peace. God even uses it. I want it. 
So in verse 21, he says, okay, my son, I'll tell you how you can get it. And this is the third heading of the text. Wisdom is valuable to you right now. He says this, let them not depart from thine eyes. You want the wisdom God uses? You want the wisdom that's so valuable to mankind, to people that you admire? Okay, here's the first step. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Them, them, what does that mean? My words. You understand Solomon was the wisest man in the world. How would you like that, teenagers? If your dad was talking to you and literally he had that kind of street cred. He was the wisest man in the world. He could actually, actually tell you, I know more than you without a shadow of a doubt he would. And he's saying, listen to me, son, but don't just listen. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Don't let my wisdom, my words, God's commandments, don't let them. Here's what depart means. Slip out of sight. We would say it like this. Out of sight, out of mind. The implication is clear. Don't miss this. Just because you hear wisdom doesn't mean you'll acquire wisdom. Just because you're introduced to wisdom doesn't mean you'll take it. Just because you're wise today doesn't mean you'll be wise tomorrow. Wisdom, watch, is capable of slipping out of your sight. Solomon knows from experience. Solomon, what do you want, God said? One thing, anything. I want wisdom. And God gave him wisdom and in a moment made him the wisest man in the world. So wise that kings and queens from all over the known world at that time came so Solomon could tell them what to do. And it wasn't, but I don't know how long later, but not, not very long later, that he let wisdom slip and he went from telling the world's leaders what to do to having 700 wives telling him what to do. No man's wise if he's going to marry more than one woman at one time. That's crazy. The sister wives thing? That's foolish. That's crazy. That's not just unbiblical. That's stupid. Right? I only need one woman telling me what to do. I only need one. Watch this. Psalm is saying, son, I had it one minute. And it's like the next minute it was out of sight, out of mind. And it nearly wrecked my life. Which tells me, church, listen. It tells me. That just because you have wisdom today doesn't mean you'll have it tomorrow. When I got my first cell phone, it was with singular wireless. And they had something called rollover minutes. You remember that? Anybody remember that? So I tried to save my minutes and they would stack up. Well, there's not rollover wisdom. If you don't constantly pursue it, it will slip out of sight. And it'll be out of mind. And you will quickly be on the path of foolishness. Watch here. That's why preachers can mount the pulpit on Sunday. Men of God with a Bible in their hand telling people how to live. And on Monday, wisdom slips out of their life and they slip into a life of immorality 24 hours after they told people how to escape that kind of life. No, listen, tomorrow, tomorrow, I could fall into a life of immorality if I let wisdom slip. That's why marriages can be strong one moment and weak the next. They let marriage, I mean wisdom, slip out of their marriage. That's why teenagers can be raised in church for 18 years. And the moment they're able to make their own decision, they let wisdom slip, depart from their eyes, and they abandon their faith. 
It's why a businessman or a businesswoman can build up a business and do so well, but let wisdom slip, make two or three foolish decisions, and have to watch their business crumble. That's why someone can be doing great in their Christian life until suddenly a trial comes and they totally go south because they let the trial of their life be bigger than God's wisdom in their life. They let it slip out of sight. Are you with me? That's why someone can be baptized, saved, join our church, get, get involved in our church, be giving and serving, but then they realize they go to church with sinners and they get offended and they leave. One day on fire for God, they get offended and instead of letting God's wisdom guide them through an offense, they let it slip out of sight. Are you with me? Just because you have wisdom today doesn't mean you'll have it tomorrow. I want the kind of wisdom that God uses in creation to, to create it in Genesis 1 and to sustain it even today in 2019. I want the kind of wisdom that I see in others that I admire so greatly. Good, you can have it. You just can't let it slip out of mind, out of sight. Well, how do I keep it from, letting, from departing from mine eyes? The second part of verse 21. You keep sound wisdom and discretion. Son, you want it? You want to keep it from slipping out of sight, out of mind? Then you got to keep it. That word keep means to guard. It means to protect with diligence. I looked up where other places in the Bible where that exact word is used to give us kind of a picture. Job 27, 18, it talks about guarding a vineyard. Same word. Proverbs 27, 18, it talks about guarding or keeping a fig tree. Same word. Nahum 2 and, and, and verse 1 speaks of guarding a fortress. It's even used in Deuteronomy 32:10 to speak of how God keeps, guards, and protects his own children. Solomon's telling his son, if you, if you want to know the value of wisdom, you can't let it slip out of mind. And the only way to prevent that is to guard it diligently like you would guard your most valuable possession. So I began to think, what are the sources of wisdom? That God uses to dispense wisdom into our lives. Because if we can answer that question, we'll know what we need to keep. We'll know what we need to guard. We'll know what we need to protect. Because those sources that God uses to put wisdom into our life, they're like a fortress. They're like a vineyard. Are you with me? Those are the kind of things we've got to guard. We've got to shore up. We've got to protect with all diligence. So I thought about this one. Our devotional time with God. I hope you have one. Where you get alone with God and His Word and His wisdom enters into your life. Where you commune with God and ask Him for wisdom on a daily basis. You need to protect that time. I'm talking about picking a time and a place where, where you'll most likely be uninterrupted and less distracted. For some, that's going to be first thing in the morning. For others, it's going to be the second half of your lunch break. For others, it'll be right before you go to bed and after you get the kids in bed. Listen, if your daily communion with the Lord through His Word and through prayer is one way in which He gives you wisdom, then you've got to guard it. You've got to protect it. I went home on, on I don't know, what, Wednesday or Thursday or something. Um, Thursday, Friday, I don't know. My week's messed up. And I told my wife this message. I told her what's on my heart out of this passage. It's that's crazy you mentioned that. You know, guarding your time with God and such. Because she said, just this morning, and my wife has such a tender heart, she just started crying and just remorse like she, you know, uh, did some great sin or something. Um, but she said, I didn't guard my time. She said, I read my Bible and I prayed, and it was like 15 minutes into it, I just closed it. I wasn't into it. 
I wasn't concentrating. I kept glancing at my phone. And, and she said, I, I, I just had to repent right there. That's what I'm talking about. Garden it like it's a vineyard. Garden it like it's a fortress. Some of us have our Bible in one hand and Facebook in the other. And, and, and I, I, we just got to be careful. Even if you have kids, they need to understand. When mommy's reading the Bible, you don't get to talk to me. Unless in case of emergency. We need to establish that. I knew that. When I walked into my mom's bathroom, she was curling her hair with, with one hand and reading her Bible. And I knew it wasn't time to compensate with her. It wasn't time to ask her, what, what's the weather look like today? Can I have a toy? I knew that. But my, 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 my mom made that real clear. Hey, you got to shore that up. You got to protect that. You know what else you got to protect? You got to guard your time in God's house. Wisdom is dispensed from this pulpit three times a week. Guard those times on your calendar. Don't let that get interfered with. Plan ahead. I know there's some inevitable things that come up, and nobody's at the door keeping attendance when you're here and when you're not here, so don't start sweating. But guard that time. Protect that time. And I, I, I'm not going to take for granted that every single person's an every Sunday night goer here. I'm glad you're here tonight. Keep coming on Sunday nights. Guard that time. Okay, I'll mow the lawn some other time. I'll work on the car some other time. I'll catch up on honeydew some other time. This is God's day. This is another chance for wisdom to be dispensed into the life of my family. I'm going to protect that. Hey, you want to come over to a party? When? Sunday night. Oh. We're going to watch the game. So-and-so's going to be here. Listen, you can go, but you're missing a chance to get wisdom. You need a garden. It needs to become a habit, a rhythm of your life. No, I, I got church. And this, then, then you might have an open door. Why do you go to church on Sunday night? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because I'm foolish and I need to get wise. Yeah. Guard that. When you come in, when you come in, guard against distraction and fatigue. You know what I'm saying? Because we, we can come on, on Sunday night, it's late. And we can come and think, man, I got a, I got a long day tomorrow, 6 o'clock in the morning, it's going to come around early. And we think these things, and they just overtake our mindset, don't they? They overtake mine. And I, I'm into the Word of God big time. I love it. I live in it. I preach it. I love preaching. There have been times when our pastor's just going after it, and I'm thinking, tomorrow i got a lot to do. See, i got to guard against those things. Are you with me? we got to guard those things. Another source of wisdom is a godly friend. A godly counselor. Read Proverbs. Iron sharpeneth iron. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And, and so here's what I want to tell you to do. Guard that friendship. Protect that friendship. Well, they're coming at me a little hot lately. And they're a little too straightforward. And they're, they're a little harsh. And they're kind of insensitive. And so our tendency to be to run to a friend that tells us what we want to hear. And we're going to go hang out with people that accepts us for who we are. Not judgmental people. That call us to the next level of holiness. No, guard those friendships. Guard the friendship that, that, that comes to you and tells you what you need to hear. Guard the friend that is willing to wound you for your sake. 
Guard the friend that will take an arm and yank you back onto the path of wisdom when you're going down the path of foolishness. Guard the friendship, even if they're harsh because they're just sick and tired of your behavior. Even if they didn't approach you right because they're just fed up. Even if they're impatient. Even if they're in the wrong, guard that, protect that, get in a quiet spot and say, thank you, God, for people that are willing to wound me. Yeah. How do I get the kind of wisdom that's valuable to God? How do I get the kind of wisdom that is more valuable than money, more valuable than the finest of jewelry? You guard it. You don't let it slip out of mind. You shore it up. You protect it. Here it is. I'll say it in a statement. You can know the value of wisdom personally when you guard wisdom diligently. That's what he's trying to tell us, son. Son, you can know it. It's not some far-fetched, intangible thing that only God has. It can be in your possession if when he gives it to you, you keep it. You protect it. And then he uses four or five verses to say, and if you do that, Here's how valuable it will be to you. And it's very personal. I'll just read them. So shall, verse 22, they be life unto thy, see how personal he is? Thy soul. Not mankind in general, thy soul. And grace to thy neck. What does that mean? Life unto thy soul, inner vitality. Soul energy. It's not some mystical thing. It's just that when your whole body's fatigued, your soul's vibrant. And grace to thy neck, you'll have a beautiful life. Now hold on a second, you can't fix ugly. This is not a guarantee. John Wayne, the great theologian, said you can't fix stupid. Tyler Prater said you can't fix ugly. All right, I'm, not, I'm just going to be ugly. That's just how life is. All right, wisdom isn't a guarantee I'm going to be beautiful. It, it, it's saying this, your behavior, your attitude, your enthusiasm, your passion, your interpersonal skills, it's going to be something to behold walking through a trial and you have the kind of wisdom that God possesses, so they're going to look at you and say, wow, that's grace. That's beautiful. Verse 24, or verse 23. Then shalt thou walk in the way safely and thy foot shall not stumble. You're, you're going to be protected in life. Verse 24. When thou liest down, he's saying, son, this, this is the value. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Oh, I love that. That's so practical. God's saying, you want to know the value of God's wisdom? It'll give you a good night's rest. No, you won't just sleep. You'll rest. In fact, one, one preacher said it this way. I love it. Watchful wisdom during our waking hours leads to sweet slumber during our sleeping hours. Verse 25. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation or the destruction of the wicked when it cometh. What is he saying? If you walk in wisdom, you won't make bad choices and you won't experience bad consequences. Look up here, look up here. You don't have to be afraid because you've done nothing wrong. You don't have to fear blue lights when you're not speeding. You don't have to fear the phone ringing when you haven't been overspending. You don't have to fear looking her dad in the eye if you've been treating his daughter right. You don't have to worry about someone finding something on your phone, on your computer in your car, in your bottom drawer, in your glove box, if you have nothing to hide. Amen. Verse 26. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, shall keep thy foot from being taken. You can be confident. God will not lead you into the way of sin. He'll protect you from it. 
All these are benefits. All of them. And they're personal and they're valuable. And you can know it personally if you guard wisdom diligently. Three statements, I'm done. Number one, this week, pursue wisdom. How? Have daily devotions. If you've fallen off the wagon with your trust and obey book, you're not spending time in God's word, start tomorrow. Hey, start tomorrow. Be in church every time the doors are open. Solicit and receive feedback from a godly friend. And then guard wisdom this week. If God dispenses it into your life, don't let it, let it slip out of your mind. Shore it up. Protect it. Number three, repeat. I say this often. Pursue wisdom, guard wisdom, and repeat. In other words, do it on Monday and repeat it on Tuesday. Do it on Tuesday and repeat it on Wednesday. Why? Just because you have wisdom today doesn't mean you'll have it tomorrow. It doesn't roll over. It slips out of our mind. I'm trying to tell you, church, make this the rhythm of your life this week. And then you'll know the value of wisdom personally. Your soul will have vitality. Your life will have added beauty. Your feet will walk safely. You might even rest peacefully knowing that because you've lived in wisdom this week, you have nothing to hide and nothing to regret.